Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. FitSpeak, the podcast, is available on Podbean, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and on our website, which is www.fitspeak.com. We're also alive and kicking it on Instagram. We have pictures of all things triathlon and fitness related. Check it out. Tell us what you think. We are at FitSpeak. And we're also Facebook-friendly, the latest links to the coolest things in multi-sport, plus conversations to make you think about why you try. It's FitSpeak on Facebook. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission, and here is your Wenting's Word of the Week. It is Scott. Mention that word to Bruce or any one of the staff members at Wenting's, and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Scott. And we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the new year well underway, it's time to commit to a race and get back on track. TriJoy can help. With decades of experience and our low client-to-coach ratio, we'll get you working on a structured training plan that'll help you get to the finish line and enjoy the journey. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page. For our second show of the year, we're heading off to Aurora, Ontario and fit speaking with a guy who's been involved in all aspects of multi-sport as an elite athlete in the 80s and 90s and now as a race announcer and a coach. Steve Fleck is our guest. Also on the show, Mikey Ross has found some very interesting things about how you, the average runner, has been adapting to the COVID-19 crisis and the subsequent lack of running races and group runs. He'll be explaining the survey done by running shoemaker ASICS in his top five list. 44 minutes and four pounds of Fitspeak brain food fresh off the grill is served right now. Hi. I'm Mikey Ross, coach with Abbotsford Triathlon Club, and here is the top five list for FitSpeak. A few months ago, well into the worldwide COVID pandemic, the sportswear and running gear company, ASICS, started researching how runners were being affected by changes in their running habits due to the restrictions of COVID. Well, the results are in. Over 14,000 runners from all over the world were asked the same questions, and their answers are encouraging. Clearly, many runners have found a way to adapt, to adjust, and to accept the challenges, and in some instances, the positive discoveries that have come with our inability to train or race with other runners. Here are ASIC's top four facts from these 14,000 runners. Number one, 36% of runners are more active compared to life before the lockdown. This struck me as quite a large proportion of respondents considering the many challenges of maintaining social distance and isolating from groups. They clearly made it a priority or they needed it badly. Number two, 79% of runners believe running makes them feel more in control during this time. Feeling more in control during a pandemic over which you have so little control is a great thing. Number three, 65% of runners believe the mental benefits currently outweigh the physical benefits. I found this result interesting. 
My own view is that mental health and physical health are closely related. This is particularly true for someone that finds working out to have a calming effect or to result in mood elevation due to the endorphins and other wonderful chemical reactions you've stimulated. Number four. 73% of runners want to maintain their training schedule after the pandemic ends. Exciting! The largest challenge I see to achieving this is if COVIDly active runners allow the workout opportunities they've been gifted, or have carved into their days, to simply be absorbed once again by the busyness of post-COVID life. Now, based on my own observations of running motivation during the pandemic, I would wrap up this list with fact number five. A hundred percent of this runner knows that running because you love to is beneficial to your mental and your physical health. Look, we all have 24 hours in each day. Whether working or retired, single or partnered, young or old, be grateful for just being able to run. All alone, with a distanced bubble partner, outdoors, on a treadmill, a long, short, fast, slow, any run, it doesn't matter. Be grateful for each and every run. Stay healthy, be patient, be careful, be kind. For FitSpeak, I'm Mikey Ross. Our next guest might be considered Canada's Mr. Triathlon. He's one of the few lucky folks in our country who in a normal year can actually make some money in the sport. He's a coach. He's been a writer for magazines like Triathlete Magazine and Triathlon Magazine Canada. He was a low nine-hour Ironman guy. I'm kind of envious of that. Um, like I was saying, when things are normal, he's one of the busiest race announcers in our Great White North. I'm not sure he's got his own bobblehead like that other Steve out here in BC. Welcome to FitSpeak, Steve Fleck. Kevin, thank you uh, for having me. That uh, was a wonderful uh, introduction, and um, yeah, I, I'm I'm humbled. Uh, uh, to be here with you talking uh, to you today. And as saying uh, in the off microphone part there, I'm kind of like the Bob Babbitt light version up here in the Great White North. And we're going to pitch you the same question that Bob Babbitt probably has once or twice, seeing as you've already spoken with him. Um, we're also... Um, you know, people who have been walking around the planet for decades before this thing called triathlon was ever um, ever thought of, really. Um, where did you grow up and what sorts of sports were you doing as a kid before this whole triathlon thing came along? Um, like most Canadian kids uh, who grew up in the late 60s and the 70s, um, hockey was my thing. I, I played sort of high-level hockey till I was about 13 or 14. And then... Uh, I, I, it was getting kind of rough. I mean, that was back in the days where, you know, there was full body checking and I was a skinny, scrawny little guy and I was getting kind of pounded into the boards regularly. And I went out to my first um, uh, cross-country race in uh, junior high school, grade seven or eight. I've kind of lost track of time. And, and I ended up finishing. It was a C Toronto citywide um, uh, cross-country meet, two miles, I think was the distance back then, just a little longer than 3K. And uh, I ended up finishing third wow. uh, in, in the race. And the, you know, no training. I just went out and did this thing. 
And uh, I remember the um, the coach, uh, my gym coach, he pulled me aside. He said, Fleck, I think you should maybe uh, think about running and forget about this uh, hockey thing. And, mm. uh, and that was really, that was that was a turning point for me. I, I did after that start to take the uh, the running uh, seriously. This was circa 1974. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from there it was, you know, on to high school. I ran competitively in high school. And then in the early years of uh of uh, the 1980s, the triathlon thing was starting to come on, and I, I competed in what I think might have been the very first triathlon in Ontario. Oh, what was in that? Cambridge, Ontario, hmm. in 1981. Wow. And, um, and so then the, so the whole triathlon thing uh, took off uh, at a pretty high level for me after that. So what motivated you to kind of like add in addition to running the elements of swimming and biking had you done that before or you're just kind of wanting to test your limits well like a a lot of runners i was starting to get um you know the odd sort of niggling injury that was holding things back and you know i was i'd been trying to get under 15 minutes for for 5k Mm -hmm. on the track you know a number of times came close never really got there and sore knees and this, that, and the next thing. And I was working as a lifeguard, so I had all my lifeguard certification and spent a lot of time in the water. I mean, I wasn't a great swimmer. I hadn't sort of competitively swam, but yeah. I had all the strokes down. And um, so the swimming w- w- was there. And the cycling um, the cycling was something that I, I you know, I really, I really loved instantly. Like, mm. I remember going for my first long bike ride of, you know, a couple hours. And I said, wow, this is amazing. I, I really love this. So um, putting the three of them together, uh, in those early stages, uh, was fairly easy, you know, for me, but, mm-hmm. you know, back then, um, the strength obviously was the run and, and that's what sort of got me some, some good early results, uh, you know, was my strength, uh, in the run. So how did that very first triathlon of yours turn out? Again, the third, I, third seems wow. to be a magic number, Kevin. Uh, I remember going to this triathlon and going, I, I have no idea what I'm doing here, and, and nor did anyone else in 1981. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we just we just did it, and we swam. I don't know what the distances were. I've kind of lost track of what it was all about, but I think it was about 1K for the swim, maybe 20 or 30K on the bike. Everything was all weird back then, and then I think we ran – seven or eight kilometers or something like that so i ended up finishing i you know i was okay on the swim Mm -hmm. you know got through the bike and then ran my way into third uh third spot you know on the run pretty impressive outing for your first uh first triathlon Uh, and at the time i mean there wasn't the standard distances which we become you know accustomed to and almost obsessed with i mean the Olympic distance, people are thinking, well, I need to be done the swim by this time, the bike by this time, I should be at the certain point in the course and, and, and stuff like that. So you just went out there and uh, you just gave her hell. Well, I think that's what that's what the, the attraction was, Kevin. I mean, we, we as I said, we literally had no idea what we were doing. And and the two um, the two big words for me back then were were, you know, exploration and journey. And it was all an exploration of 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 these new sports and and particularly the bike i mean like how far can you go can i ride from here to there can i ride from toronto to guelph where i was going you know, huh. to university at the time uh, so sure so i just jump on my bike this was of course before you know gps and all this kind of stuff you just kind of look at a map you know paper map and you go okay well i kind of head off on these roads <laughs> so 
it, that was really the extent of the training. And, and yeah, that, that I was doing well, like in the races mm, yeah. was helpful. I, I, you know, that for, for a young, a young person, um, for me at the time in my uh, early to mid twenties, I, I will fully admit that was a bit of a motivation because yeah. you know, when you start out doing well, you, you tasted that and you want to keep doing well. Yeah. I think my first two words after my first triathlon was probably humiliation and fear but uh, for some reason I've been sticking with it for for a few decades now so f at that time we're talking mid 80s was there any half Ironman distance in Ontario or did you have to come out here to British Columbia no there there was more and more races as we got to the mid part of the 1980s uh, Graham Fraser a, a name that uh, I'm sure you're uh, very familiar with uh, Graham founded the Trisport uh, Triathlon Series here in Ontario in southern Ontario um, and we had five or six races and one of those was a half Ironman distance race in Aurelia Ontario which is Aurelia is a town about uh, um, hour and a half uh, north of uh, north of uh, the Toronto area and that was one of the first half Ironman distance races um, in the province. And, uh, and I raced in that uh, a number of times. And that was my first sort of experience going, you know, quite a bit sort of longer than, um, than the standard distances. And as you had, had hinted at, soon after, you know, the, the early 80s, distances did get kind of standardized. So there was the Olympic distance and then there was the half iron distance and, of course, you know, if you wanted to do the full Ironman, your only option in Canada at the time was, of course, to journey out to Penticton and do Ironman Canada. Well, hell, that was probably at that time the only option in North America or, for lack of uh, another idea, Western, uh, the Western Hemisphere, right? Well, there really was only the five of them. I mean, people who are new to the sport don't understand, I think, really or comprehend, you know, where it all came from. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, you know, back then, there was only the four or five Ironman races around the world. Of course, the Ironman World Championships, uh, the Penticton, um, Ironman Canada, Ironman Japan, Ironman New Zealand, and Ironman Europe, and Ironman Australia. So those were the, those were the original sort of founding sort of Ironman uh, races and events. And, and now they're all over the place, but uh, those were the original ones. Yeah, and when you went to a, an Ironman in Penticton, it was uh, it was a real eye-opener. I mean, this was truly an international event. You know, in those early days, people took the time and they did the, I guess, Parade of Nations and the T-shirt exchange and that sort of thing. And you saw people from everywhere. And right now, I mean, in its last iterations in, in Whistler, it was mostly, you know, a Canadian and an American thing. But I must say the Germans were out there because they were kicking my ass on the bike in a big way way but uh it was certainly a much more of a international event back in the you know late 80s early 90s and up until you know uh, probably about the year 2000 tell us about your first Ironman experience had you gone out to Penticton to watch the race a few times or did you just kind of sign up uh, put your eight cent stamp on an envelope and commit <laughs> actually Ironman Hawaii the Ironman World Championships was my first Ironman back how does that happen yeah, well, you could still qualify for uh, for the Ironman World Championships uh, via some other races. So mm. there was a there was an Ironman World Championships qualifier at the Tupper Lake uh, Half Ironman, um, and Tupper Lake is just outside of Lake Placid, okay. which is where one of the Ironman races uh, is established now. But uh, this Tupper Lake race had Ironman World Championships qualifying spot. So I went down uh, with some friends of mine from the Toronto area, and we competed in that race. And I finished, I think, 
third there or fourth. I can't remember. But I got one of the uh, the Ironman World Championship uh, spots. That was June of that year. This would have been June 1989. And then I went to Kona that uh, that October uh, to keep, compete at the Ironman World Championship. So that was my first one. Was, so not, not only you – know, you can't. I was just going to say, not only is this your first Ironman distance race, it's on the Kona uh, race course, which is, of course yeah. is legendary. So you got two yeah. massive experiences within the same um, however amount of hours it took you to get through the course for your very first Ironman. How did that day go? What, what was training like before? Because back in 88, 89, I mean, we had some good role models, but even them at the time, I mean, we're talking Dave Scott, Mark Allen, uh, Molina. I mean, these guys were kind of just finding their own way um, some more successfully than others well again it was really just throw it up against the wall Kevin and see see what sticks because we we still at that point now we're in the late 80s we still really didn't know like what we were doing we 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 ran with the runners we swam with the swimmers we rode with the road cyclists and we just piled on like as much training as as we could withstand and then on a race day you just try and bolt it all together yeah. and, and literally I went to Kona uh, doing that in 1989, and historians of the sport will know that was the famous sort of iron war between uh, Mark Allen and uh, and Dave Scott, with uh, Mark Allen prevailing and winning his first of uh, six uh, Ironman World Championships. But I was out there struggling along uh, myself, doing my first uh, yeah. you know Ironman, and it was it was an amazing experience. It was a lot harder uh, than I thought, despite all the training and the preparation that I did do. Uh, I found the day uh, to be pretty, pretty daunting, mm. and there were spots on the bike where, late in the bike, you're you, you're now like six, six, seven hours like into the race, and nearing the end of the bike, and you're going, oh my god, now I have to run a marathon, mm. and I'd never, I'd never run a marathon. Oh, you know? so, okay, so lots going, of new stuff. Wow, yeah. you're you're the you're playing those mental tricks in your head, uh, trying to you know figure out like how am I you know going to get through this marathon that I've never run when my legs are actually <laughs> trashed after 112 miles on the bike. Uh-huh. So how did that last uh, last part of that triathlon go for you? It, you know, it went to, it went reasonably well. I, you know, I'm not, not bragging or anything, but, you know, I finished in 940 and I thought Whoa. that was a pretty good time um, for a first outing, you know, at it and a, a complete journey into the unknown, yeah. uh, you know, for me. And, but I was, I was done. I mean, I got to the finish line, you know, on the famous finish line on a leaky drive yeah. and, and I was, I was ready to stop mm. and, and call it a day. <laughs> uh huh. So from there, I mean, obviously you have to earn a living at this time. What were you doing? I was working um, at uh, a, a couple of different jobs, but they they were jobs that allowed uh, a decent amount of flexibility for me to train. I was I was selling advertising, and I was an early. Everyone's working from home now in the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, and I kind of have to laugh because I, I I literally have almost always worked from home. Oh wow! And so I I I moved in uh, shortly after the eighty nine experience in Kona. I moved out to Vancouver. And I was working remotely for a Toronto publishing, you know, company, and I was selling, you know, magazine advertising, you know, mm. for them, print advertising, and it was all remote work, and it was all done by phone and fax. Okay, and that gave me tremendous amount of flexibility. Yeah. I had no commute, so, you know, I'd swim before, you know, you know, breakfast in the morning. I'd sneak out at, at lunch for a run, and I'd go for a ride after, you know, after I was done work in the late afternoon. So you're fitting in three hours of training 
um, you know, other people are spending three hours of commuting. So yes. that was my little secret sauce to yeah. you know, squeezing in the training that I, I needed to get in. So after your first uh, race there at Kona, did you decide to go into it a bit more consistently or were you one of these people who kind of does one and then waits for another golden opportunity or did you pursue it more more consistently? Well, when you're at that level back then, you're kind of low low nine hours and I did get down to 904 at uh, at Penticton one year. You're kind of just, you know, back then you're, you're kind of thinking, hmm, yeah. I'm going to take this you know, professionally, kind of make some money at this. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I was at that level where I was getting, you know, free product from, you know, from, you know, sponsors, you know, quote unquote. But I mean, you just get, you know, a free bike and free running shoes and this, that and the next thing. So you can't really make a living at it, but it's it's nice to have yeah. not the expenses of, you know, bikes and shoes and apparel and whatnot. So um, you know, I was taking it I'd say semi seriously to very seriously and and trying to take it to the next level but you get to reach that point Kevin where you're kind of you're 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 brushing up against your own limitations and it's it's kind of a humbling thing mm. you you know I had a couple of goes at, at trying to break 9 hours and it yeah. never happened mm. but I was I was realizing that you know to take this to truly the next level you know I would have had to do some some probably major changes to, you know, maybe take training full time. And I just, yeah. I didn't have the resources, you know, or the wherewithal to do that sort of at that, at that time. So I just kept plunking away at it. And then in 1997, I, I, I kind of stepped away almost cold Turkey from, from triathlon. Hmm. I, I got a, a major sort of promotion where I was working at the time. I was working for Segoy, the apparel manufacturer in Vancouver ah. and my son was born mm. and I just sort of said you know that's it I've I've done what I can do and you know time to move on to the next chapter of my life so I've not really you know raced a triathlon um, at a serious level since I got out of the water at, in in Penticton huh. in Ironman Canada in August of 1997. Have you missed it? Um, yes and no I mean I I, I, I have missed it I, I, I missed that um, that sort of pioneering uh, spirit and that ex spirit of exploration that I mentioned, you know, earlier, that to me was really important. I knew that we were part of something special, you know, in, in the early 1980s and through the 80s and the early 90s. By the time we got to the mid to late 1990s, th that kind of had gone. We weren't pioneers anymore. Mm. Um, it was starting to get a lot more serious. It, you know, more money was involved. I needed to put more time into it. You know, kind of a bit of the fun had gone out of it for me. So, yeah. you know, it was time to step away. And and then other things sort of popped up, like race and event announcing started to happen for me a few years later. And, you know, I've, I've now been sort of deeply involved in the sport and other endurance sports like running and cycling and, and track and field, etc., um, in, in a much bigger way through that than I probably ever was as a competitive athlete. Yeah, it's more than uh, just doing the training and showing up, you know, every third or fourth or whenever it is weekend. I mean, this is a, in order to make a, a living at it and live reasonably comfortably, you have to be at it almost all the time, which I suspect you're one of those kind of guys who, who, who does it that way. Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 if you're talking about the race and event announcing, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, we can get into what it's meant for me in, in 2020, which was uh, rather unfortunate, but it, it has become 
um, pretty much my full time my full time gig. It was two thirds, three quarters of my income uh-huh. for the last six or seven six or seven years, and and it's great. It was it, it's that kind of job where it's the perfect job. You're you're being paid to do something that you're super passionate about, that you do well, that doesn't feel like a job. People mm-hmm. are paying me to go to you know a running race or or a track meet uh, or a cycling event. Uh, or a triathlon, and I get to talk about them all day long and, and get a paycheck at the end of the day. So uh, for me, it was that kind of perfect, uh, perfect job, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And you had some experience behind the mic uh, working with Steve King at Ironman, I hear. Yeah, absolutely. No, Steve was uh, Steve was really my original mentor. He was the guy that that actually encouraged me to um, you know come out and 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 help him. He said, "Hey, come along and help me. Help me announce." Uh, you know, at uh, at Ironman Canada, the race had grown to a size and stature that you really needed more than just one announcer. And and Steve had a whole team of people. Uh, I was one of those sort of the on the mic people uh, that was helping him out and you know doing finish line interviews. Mm. You know, with the top people when they came across the finish line, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. So that was my my debut. And a lot of this work, uh, I, I owe a huge you know debt of thanks and and gratitude to Steve for originally. You know, giving me that push and, and putting the microphone in my hand and saying, "Let's do this." So, I, I as I said, I'm extraordinarily grateful and thankful that he did that because it's become a, a big thing and a super important thing in my life. Absolutely, and you know, we're all crossing our fingers that the folks with the uh, Iron Man Owners Corporation, whoever they are at the moment, are going to have the the wisdom to uh, to hire on Steve and his staff as the announcing crew. Hopefully, when Iron Man does uh, return to Penticton the last weekend in August uh, in 2021. Hopefully, yeah. I, I, again, it's it's very different now, and and I, I not to sort of get into the politics of it all, but um, when Iron Man was last in Penticton in 2012, and now it, it would have made its return last year, um, but now pushed to to fingers crossed yeah. this year. The sports changed massively. There's a whole new generation of, of, of athletes that uh, are, are in the sport. I would say the turnover, you know, for triathletes in the sport is, is in that five to seven year range. So you're talking about a whole new generation of athletes. Um, the business of the sport is is very different. The economics of the sport is 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 very different, and the way Ironman you know, conducts themselves and does things is, is very different. It's not the same company that it was, right. you know, back in 2012. So, you know, what they do is, you know, I, I, you know, you have to respect, you know, the decisions they make, whatever that is. Um, you know, Ironman's been very successful, you know, around the world, putting on races, you know, in on every continent. Um we have, just have to respect what they're going to do and the decisions they're going to make. Yeah, and then when Iron Man had left for Whistler and they brought in Challenge Penticton, you know, it, it just did not get the numbers. I mean, uh, you know, us triathletes, we're a, we're a fickle, brand-loyal uh, sort of group for, for the most part. Well, that's part of the success of Iron Man. I mean, yeah. they, they've really developed a brand and an affinity for that brand, and that's what, what people want to do. And uh, they've been great stewards of that brand, you know, through, you know, thick and thin. I mean, we're going through a thin time right now, so yeah. we'll see how it endures, you know, through that. But, again, people new to the sport don't understand this, but in the early 1990s, the, re- the recession that we had, there was a similar large dip and drop in, you know, in – triathlon participation numbers, 
uh, in sponsored dollars coming into the sport. All the you know major like events around the world suffered at that time. They lost key sponsors, title sponsors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the sport bloomed after that, and and you know had some of its best years like through the 2000s, you know, and beyond through to about the early 2000 and teens, and then mm-hmm. I, I think the numbers have, have gone down a bit. But um, you know, we'll see where they go. You know, after this thin period that we're in now. Right. I mean, the COVID-19 worldwide crisis is 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 tough for for all endurance sports sort of races and events but i i think kevin what we're going to see is a nice little bump when we get to the other side of this yeah and if you i don't know what your neighborhood is like but my neighborhood here in aurora just north of toronto uh where i live uh, i i this past summer all kinds of people i've never seen out running Mm. jogging riding bikes um walking in the park people i've would I've never seen two doors down from my house and now they're out and they're riding their bike up and down the street. So if we convert on some of those people coming over to pin on a bib number in a five yeah. K running race yeah. or a charity bike ride or a triathlon and, you know, maybe even someday an Ironman, yeah. um, you know, that'll be really good. Yeah. So we can look back at these past 18, hopefully not 36 months as, uh, as wasted time and just an opportunity, perhaps uh, looking at the bright side for some inspiration, motivation, and uh, a new uh, group of triathletes, or at the very least, just more active people because um, they're aware of what they've been missing out on. 100%. Yeah, no, I mean, anyone... Um, you know, getting out and being physically active. I mean, physical activity is a great, you know, antidote um, to all kinds of, you know, ills that uh, we may suffer at certain times in our life, be they mental, physical, etc. And, you know, anyone doing that uh, is doing a good thing for themselves. So whatever it is, uh, that has to be encouraged. Absolutely, for for themselves, for their community, for their children. Um, let, let's go back to you for a bit here, Steve. So, now that with the COVID taking over a lot of probably all of your racing uh, announcing gigs over the past, you know, few months, if not more, how do you spend your days? <laughs> well, uh, just backing up a little bit, I, I I was set to have my best year ever, uh, not to get the old violin out and say, well, <laughs> it was me, but I was set to have my my best year ever in, in 2020. It was about a six or seven year build up to get to that point. Um, in terms of my race event announcing and, and live stream commentary work, I was set to uh, work at seven Canadian championships in, in cycling, uh, in running and in track and field. I was uh, supposed to work at two uh, world championships, two UCI world championships, one of which I worked at, the Para Track Cycling World Championships. Wow. And then I was also supposed to uh, work at the UCI Grand Fondo uh, World Championships uh, at uh, Grand Fondo Whistler uh, last September. But of course... You know, COVID nineteen mm-hmm. as of March, you know everything was canceled, and and I lost almost my whole year of income wow. after that. Yeah, and I don't know when it it's going to get going again. So, you know, I've been working on a couple of side uh, side projects. Um, I have been, you know, doing a lot of virtual work. Uh, you know, virtual content, uh, virtual interviewing for. Uh, for some clients, um, you know, who need people interviewed, like we're doing right now, uh, you and I, uh, to put up on their website. Um, I'm hosting a big uh, a conference that uh, Triathlon USA is hosting in a couple of weeks, and the Endurance Exchange Conference. Mike Riley is the head uh, MC, the voice of uh, Iron Man, uh, and another good friend and good mentor of mine. And then I'm one of the sub sort of MCs uh, moderating panels, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. 
I'm also working uh, on, a, on a project that uh, I'm quite proud of, and one of the things I've wanted to do for some time is to try and get all of the endurance sports, races and events in Canada, you know, under one umbrella. And unfortunately, it took a, a crisis and a complete shutdown of the whole business for us to get to this point. But we've, we formed an umbrella organization called the Canadian Endurance Sports Alliance, or CISA uh, for short, to use the acronym. And this is, an, this is an organization, it's a trade organization, it's not really sort of consumer or participant oriented, but it's, it's mm. a trade organization for race and event owners and, and operators. And they've really, really struggled, like in this, yes. even Ironman has mm. massively, you know, struggled with this because the business model, like in this business, for better or for worse, is a participant pay model. So if you don't have any events, yeah. you don't have any participants, you have no revenue, you have no business. Yeah. And that's what last year for the better part was. Mm-hmm. And that's what 2021 is potentially going to be. So this is a big problem. And CISA has been fairly effectively lobbying the federal government. We No one's writing a check yet. But, mm-hmm. um, we're just trying to bring recognition, you know, to the whole of this business, you know, in Canada. Because it's a lot bigger than people really understand. So, for example... We estimate, and these are fairly good estimates because we have uh, some of the online registration companies like RaceRoster and Events.com, you know, helping out with this. So we have some pretty good data, and we believe there's there's over two and a half million participants in Canada in all the running and cycling and triathlon races in the country. So if you take all of them and add them up, that's how many participants you have. Same number of events, same number of people. That has about almost a billion in economic impact. Hmm. And here's the big one. This one usually resonates with people. Charitable fundraising. Yeah. All of the, the endurance sports races and events in the country uh, collectively in a given calendar year will raise close to a billion dollars in, in charitable funds. So that's pretty significant. In fact, a lot of the mid to large size charities in the last 10 years, their number one fundraising event in a calendar year is, is a run, right. a walk, mm-hmm. a triathlon, um, a charitable bike ride, you know, whatever it is. And none of that happened last year. Yeah. So so that's why CISA, you know, has some resonance and we've been reasonably effective in getting the attention of key sort of MPs in Ottawa and a number of the bureaucrats that are decision makers for funding, mm. you know, for these kinds of things. As I said, no one's writing a check yet, but, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're working hard, um, you know, to potentially and, you know, hopefully make that happen. Mm-hmm. So let's ratchet this up uh, one more notch. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to it. Well, I know you've listened to a few of the podcasts, but we also have a segment called The Soapbox. So mm-hmm. this is Steve's Soapbox. Uh, what are a few things that Canadian, uh, well, we'll limit it to, to living Canadians. I mean, they can be athletes, they can be aspiring athletes, they can be triathletes, whatever. You know, a couple of things, in your opinions, uh, that we should know about from your perspective. Well, a couple of them have just happened in the last uh, the last little while, and I was directly and indirectly in, involved in, in them. Um, indirect involvement, uh, Paula Finley and her great performance at the uh, PTO Championships in the Daytona challenge race uh, last uh, December. That was an extraordinary performance for her and, and really capped you know, a long run from the, the, the pit yeah. and the bottom of, of you know, finishing dead last at the, at the Olympic triathlon in London in 2012. And I interviewed Paula earlier in the summer. It was, mm-hmm. again, one of those content interviews I did for, for a client. And it was interesting. And what we talked about then 
resonated with some of the comments that she had said after the race. She had never spent eight or nine months just training. And, and this was really important for her. And I think this is why we saw, you know, some athletes doing exceptionally well, like when they came back to competition after mm -hmm. this shutdown that we had, and some with sort of middling kind of performance. For Paula, this was really good. Because athletes at, at, at that level, often what happens, you, you get into a pattern where you train for a bit, then you have to go to a race, and you got to taper for that, and then you're a little bit beat up, so you got to take some time off, then back to the training, maybe a niggling little injury, and then you know build it back up again, then another race, more time off, some traveling, and your year kind of goes like that. And, and Paula's big revelation, I think, was that sustained eight, nine, ten months of uninterrupted training mm -hmm. for her was a massive win. And and that's why, you know, she was so amazing. Uh, the other story, uh, Canadian story, of course, is Lionel Sanders. I was very honored and privileged to do the commentary for Lionel uh, when he went for the Canadian hour record and then ended up being the 14th fastest man all time right uh, at the hour at the hour and that was just one of the, those truly extraordinary private kind of performances that i'm privy to mm. you know, doing what i do yeah it was just exceptional i mean this is a man who i don't think is is that well gifted physically um but he can drive his body <laughs> into deeper and darker places than i think any other athlete yeah and we certainly saw that in that hour performance and then we saw it a month later yeah. in in december at that same race that paula won uh lionel finished fourth which you know on paper not great he didn't win the race but given the 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 talent that was there yes I think that was about as good as he could sort of expect on the day and he had to go to that dark place mm -hmm. to sort of get that. Yet point. again, you yeah. You saw that. Mm -hmm. You saw that. So those are my those are my kind of soapbox soapbox mm -hmm. moments from you know the last six months of this crazy COVID sort of lockdown. I could go on and on because mm -hmm. I get to see sort of world class athletic performances up close and personal. Um, you know, almost every couple of weeks or every week uh, in a normal in a normal year and i hope we can get back to that at some point in time yeah for sure um before we end the interview just a couple of light-hearted things uh you've been an athlete you've been a race announcer you've you know spent the last 25 years in multi-sport what has been one of your more embarrassing moments personally uh maybe a mistake you've made or something that didn't turn out quite the way you wanted it to Oh, you know, a couple of times when you're when you're announcing and you you literally you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> and it, it's it's hard because sometimes we depend heavily. If you've if you've done sort of higher level commentary, you become acutely aware of how dependent you become on the technology, giving you the splits for the lap or you know whatever it is. If you're calling a high level track meet or mm. you're you know doing the introductions at the at the national you know, championship and it was just a silly thing this was like hugely embarrassing at, at the canadian track and field championships the wind it was very windy this wasn't technology based it was the most basic of technologies we have these uh binders that have all our notes, <laughs> our notes in them yeah and and so it was really windy and somehow the page had flipped over Oh. And I started, this was the women's four, I remember it distinctly, it's mm. the women's 400 meter hurdle final. 
I started reading out the page had flipped over to the men's. Oh. <laughs> and I was so you you're you're like an athlete. You're in the zone, right? So you're <laughs> you're totally focused and I knew what I was gonna say and I had yeah. all my cheat notes there mm. and and I start reading out the men's you know, <laughs> you're making a big deal about this. Well yeah high level sports presentation. Mm-hmm. Here is, you know, the such and such champion from the you know, and, and you're making a big deal. Of, and one of the officials comes over and, and I'm up on a sort of a higher elevated sort of podium where right. the, the announcers are working. And she pulls on my she pulls on my arm mm-hmm. and she points out to the track. And I and I and I look and I go, oh, my God, it's it's the women. Not it's the, the men, women. Oh, the wow. <laughs> it's the women's 400 meter hurdle final that I'm supposed to be announcing. And I flip the page back. No. Of course, I'm highly embarrassed. So yeah. that was. That was one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had uh, doing my announcing or or, or commentary work. That makes you a human. Um, Before we let you go, um, one last question. Um, If you could be an animal, Steve, other than a human being, what kind of animal would you be and tell us why? We've been Labrador Retriever owners Uh, our whole lives. mm -hmm. We've had a series of, of Labrador Retrievers. And if I ever... If I ever, you know, came back, <laughs> and if I ever came back as a dog, I, I would, I would want to be a Labrador Retriever because they just seem to leave, lead these happy-go-lucky, you know, kind of lives. You know, a stick tossed out into the lake um, <laughs> is all they need for for you know ultimate sort of happiness. Outdoors, <laughs> in the water, running, doesn't matter what the weather is. They want to be outside doing their thing and. They just and indoors they just chill out yeah <laughs> and they relax and they have this wonderful personality so i think i think if i ever came back I, i'd want to be a, a labrador retriever well thank you so much for taking the time to fit speak with us steve uh wishing you nothing but success uh crossing our fingers for you and the you know the whole multi-sport the whole athletic community here for 2021 we know what it's like to be kicked in the in the private parts and suffered you know all of 2020 but we're hoping that 2021 gives us uh, at least a few races and, and a lot more hope thank you kevin fingers crossed we'll uh, we'll get back to this uh, i know it's a cliche we're all in this together and i think we need to all pull together to uh get across that um, that start line of events happening again and then get to the finish line of this And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. We'd like to thank Steve Fleck from Aurora, Ontario for stopping by and hope he can get back into the announcing groove later on this year. Coming up on our next episode, an awesome interview with an awesome guy with some awesome news. We'll be FitSpeaking with Victoria's Paul Regensburg. The Victoria Half is back and so is the hoodie. Be sure to be listening for that one. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Your Wenting's Word of the Week is Scott. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Scott. And yes, we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multisport. Whether you want to get faster or go farther, TriJoy can help. With our low client-to-coach ratio, we can give you the attention you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multisport. See our link at the bottom of this page. Just a reminder, we are your local go-to spot for information and inspiration. Yes, it's FitSpeak on Facebook. And now, at FitSpeak on Instagram. 
your place on the internet where you can see what we've been up to, what excites us, and for you to share your story in pictures. Finally, if you're listening to us on Podbean, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, why not drop by our website to see a bit more about the program, maybe leave us a comment on the show, or ideas for future programs. For Kevin Watts and Mikey Ross, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.